brought your Bible, I want to invite you to go with me to the book of Esther. You will find Esther in the Old Testament, a few pages before the book of Job. Esther chapter 6 and verse 13. We congratulate once again the baptism candidates this morning. We're praying for you. We know that you have begun the lifelong journey of following Christ. What a joy it is to celebrate with you. Esther chapter 6 and verse 13. We have been talking about the favor of God. And... As a subtitle, we are talking about the scandal of God's love. When we consider the fact that God loves us, in spite of who we are, in spite of the past or even our present sin, He has loved us with an undying love and has made provision for us that we might have eternal life in Him. It really is a shocking fact. The Bible says that The preaching of Christ is foolishness to the Jews. And it is a scandal to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. That's to us. The Jews couldn't believe that God would send His Son to die in the place of sinners. The Greeks felt that it was a scandal to imagine that the Son of God, these Greeks who had uh, worshipped the Greek gods, and had reverenced them, could not imagine that God would allow His Son to die, let alone that He would die for common men, even for great men. And yet this is scandalous to many, but it is in fact the gospel truth, the gospel message. And this morning I want to tell you the story of a man named Mordecai and how God favored his life and what that means for us This morning, Esther uh, 6.13, Haman recounted to Zerah, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. This his his wise men and Zerah, his wife, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. Father, we thank you as we come to your word this morning. We thank you for the privilege of being in your house and for the presence of the Holy Spirit. I pray tonight that you would give us grace, today that you would give us grace to be able to hear your voice as we speak the word of God. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to preach the word. And I pray as well that you would anoint this congregation to hear the word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We all like to hear a good story, especially a story with a twist. The story of Mordecai is just that kind of story. He was a Jewish man in a Persian world. The Jews had been taken as captives by the Babylonians and now were under the captivity of the Persians. And this man Mordecai had grown into maturity in in a foreign land, a foreign country. And now he had risen to be... A, a noble in the, in the palace, someone of influence within the Persian government. And he was around 
the palace of the king, the mightiest king in all the world at the time. And there was at the side of the king a man named Haman. Haman was a fierce adversary of the Jews. This story has replayed itself in many ways throughout history as the Jewish people have been persecuted by many dictators and governors along the way and they have been persecuted even in our latest times by some rulers who wish they could wipe the nation of Israel off the face of the earth. But you know, God continues to preserve the Jewish people. And Mordecai was the... The one Jew that Haman couldn't stand. He couldn't stand the whole lot of them, but, but, but uh, Mordecai had a special place in his heart. Because one day when he was uh, going through and, and people were honoring Haman, he was a high-ranking official, they were bowing down to him, they were honoring him, and Mordecai the Jew said, I won't bow down to you. Because I won't bow down to anyone but God. He said, I won't worship anyone but God. And and Haman, who already hated the Jews, now he hated a particular Jew named Mordecai. And he began to fabricate and, and to create a plan that would lead to Mordecai's death. His plan was to hang Mordecai. The Bible tells us that Uh, Mordecai was a faithful man in the king's palace. One night there was an assassination being plotted in the palace of the king that would have changed world history if the Persian king had been killed. And yet this man, Mordecai, when he heard of the plot, he began to act in in accordance with his virtue and his uh, nobility and he, he was able to stop the plot and to save the life of the king. He had done a heroic act. He had had blessed the nation of Persia in ways that Persia would never be able to to thank him for. And then he was forgotten. The scripture says that they wrote his story, a little account of what he had done for the king in the chronicles of the king and put it up away in a scroll in the library and forgot all about it. Have you ever been forgotten? Has someone ever forgotten to pay you? It hurts, doesn't it? Someone forgets to pay you back. They forget that they owe you money. Maybe someone forgot to say thank you. Or maybe somebody forgot you in other ways. I I don't know. But Mordecai had been forgotten. And yet God himself had not forgotten Mordecai. One night the king of Persia was having trouble sleeping. God had robbed the king of his sleep. And as he tossed and turned in bed that night, he was trying to sleep. He couldn't, and he called for a scribe. He said, you know, I need to sleep. I need you to go and pick a book out of the library and bring it here and read to me, but pick something dull, something boring, something that's going to put me to sleep. By divine providence, this scribe went into that library and he chose a scroll. Out of all the books in the library, he chose the one book that mentioned Mordecai. And he started reading to the king. It talked about how Mordecai had thwarted a plan of assassination for the king. And all of a sudden, the forgotten Mordecai, because of the favor of God upon his life, was being talked about in the presence of the mightiest man in all of the world. Can I tell you, church, that the favor of God 
That pleasure of God upon your life will open doors that have been shut in your life. The favor of God will put you in the right place at the right time. Every one of us, we need the favor of God. Favor will bring you to the attention of the right people. There might be a situation where somebody is better experienced than you. They have more influence than you. They're better known than you. But if God's favor is on your life, if God says, you know what, you're my son, I'm going to bless you, then you can be out of obscurity and brought into the limelight by the grace of God and put to do a a, a great work for God. That's exactly what happens to Mordecai. Favor brought him forward. And the king is listening to this story. He said, I didn't know that. Somebody tried to kill me? Yeah. And this guy, Mordecai, stopped the plan? Yeah. And what did we do to thank him? Nothing, king. Don't you just like it when God reminds people about you? The king said, you know what? I'm going I'm to honor Mordecai. I'm going to do whatever I can. So the next morning, he's, he's in his palace. He's in his throne room. And in comes Haman. Now remember, Haman is planning to kill Mordecai. The plot begins to thicken. The king says to Haman, Haman, what would you do to honor a man that the king would like to honor? And Haman thought in his heart, oh man, the king wants to honor me. Boy, oh boy, he said, the the king, the mightiest man in all the world, he wants to honor me. And Haman began to write his own party. He said, you know what I would do, king? I would take your horse, the horse that you ride on, the horse that you go into battle on, the horse that everybody knows and sees. I would take your horse and I would sit that man that you want to honor upon that horse. And then I would take your royal robes, the nicest one, the the one that you wore to your inauguration. I would put that on him and, and then I would take one of your crowns and I would polish it all up and I would set it upon the head of that man. And then I would get all the nobles to walk in front of the horse and to say, behold, the man whom the king chooses to honor. And the king says, it's a good plan. Let's do it. And Haman was thinking, oh man, I'm about to become the most extraordinarily loved man in all of Persia. And the king says, do that for Mordecai. Don't leave out a single detail. For for who? Did, Did you say Mordecai? The Jew, yeah, I don't know if he's Jewish or not. You do that for him. There was Haman walking through the streets. Behold the man the king chooses to honor. Leading Mordecai in a great parade. Mordecai had God's favor on his life. I read it to you, a little, a little snapshot of the inner life of Haman. Haman went home that night, and you could tell he was upset. And he went to soak his sorrows, and he got to talking to his wife. He said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang this Mordecai. He is going to pay for this, and, and, and uh, whoever does something like this to me, I'm going to get even. And his wife says to him some words that must have riveted that man who was uh, most likely possessed of the devil. She said to him, Haman, if this man is a Jew, you will not have a chance against him. 
if this man is a Jew, you are going to fail in every attempt to destroy this man. And I want to tell you there is a parallel to that in the word of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 8 that if God be for you. Oh, you know it, don't you? That's what she was saying to Mordecai, to to Haman. She was saying, Haman, if God is for that man, it don't matter who you are, you'll never be able to stand up against him. And can I tell you today, church, that you and I, being sons and daughters of God, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, then guess what? You and I have the favor of God on our life. We have God smiling down upon us. And if God is for you, if God favors you, then who can be against you? Say that with me. Who can be against me? Did you know that God is for you? You know, the Democrats, they say, we're for you. The Republicans say, we're for you. But my Bible tells me the truth that God is for me. You see, the Republicans and the Democrats are for us so long as we have a vote to give them. But God was for us while we were yet against Him. While we were voting against Him with our sin and our lifestyle and our iniquity. While we were lying and cheating and backbiting. God loved us and He was for us even while we were sinners. Somebody ought to give God praise this morning that God is for us. Hallelujah. He proved that He was for us. When he gave us his son. Scripture says in in Romans chapter 8 verse 31. What shall we then say of these things? If God is for you, who is against you? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all. He said if God gave us his son. It is the greatest proof that God is for us. That God loves us. The Bible says that God so loved the world. You know this one. Maybe your first time in church, but you know this one. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. What did he give? He gave his only, one and only begotten son. He didn't give a cousin. He didn't give a a stepchild. He gave his one and only beloved son. He gave us Jesus. When you have a doubt in your heart and you say, does God care about me? Does God love me? When you wonder if I'll ever be able to please God, can I tell you, friend, put the doubt away. God settled it 2,000 years ago when he gave us Jesus Christ as our Savior. He proved his love to us for the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Scripture says that greater love has no man than this, that he has given his life for a friend. The Apostle Paul said, scarcely would a man die for a good man. But for a wicked man, no one would dare to die. Yet God gave us his son. God exchanged the son who was pure and perfect and awesome and holy and just, never sinning. And exchanged him for sinners such as you and I. This is the scandal of God's love. That God would dare give the precious son in order to rescue sinful man. Friend, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. 
Today he's drawing at you. He's pulling toward your heart. He's saying it's time to come back to me. It's time to serve me. It's time to to live for me. It's time to come home. I am your father. I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. With my love I have drawn you. It's my tenderness, my kindness that's drawing you to myself. God didn't send me here this morning to beat you over the head with a club. But he sent me here to beat you with his love. To tell you, hey, there is a God who loves you. There is a God who cares for you. There is a God who sent his son to die on the cross. For your sake. He did not withhold his own son. But he gave him in exchange for us. So that you and I could say, hey, God is for me. God must be for me if he gave me his son. Not only did he give us his son, but he gave us the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says that he, uh, the Holy Spirit, was given to be our helper, our, our help. The word help in the Greek is the word parakletos, which means someone to walk alongside of us, to help us. God gave us not only his son as our savior, but he gave us his Holy Spirit as our help so that we could live the Christian life. Let me tell you, friend, living the Christian life is impossible apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. Living the Christian life is impossible apart from the grace of God operating in your life. But if God's grace is operating in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit, then the Christian life is not only possible, but you can live it successfully every day of your life. God has given us His Son, but He's also given us a companion, the Helper, the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit... Prays through us with groanings too deep for words. There might be days when you and I are praying. We don't know what to pray. We don't know whether we should go left or right or, or which job to take or which, which person to, to partner up with or, or which investment to enter into. You might be thinking, well, what do I do? I don't even know how to pray. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit helps us because we don't know how to pray. But he does know how to pray. He knows the will of God, the mind of God. The Holy Spirit will come alongside of you. And if you've been filled with the Spirit, he'll pray through you with words that are coming out of heaven itself and reaching the very throne room of the living God. There is nothing you need more today than Jesus. And once you have Jesus, there is nothing you need more than the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that, church? There is nothing you need more than the Holy Spirit. If you don't have a job, you don't have any money, you don't have an education, you don't have a career, you may not have the right people in your life, but if you have the Holy Spirit, He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you in the direction that God wants you to go. And I want to tell you this about the Holy Spirit. He is so easy to get along with. Some people think God is angry, bitter, frustrated. No, friend. God in His Holy Spirit is gracious to us. Available to us in the hour of our need. And He wants to help us. He was sent by God to help us. So let me ask you, if if God gave you His Son... And God gave you his Holy Spirit. You think God might be for you? But that was so weak, I'm going to try that again. If God gave you his son and God gave you the Holy Spirit, do you think God might be for you? God is for us. Somebody asked President Lincoln during the Civil War, they said, Mr. President, do you uh, believe God is on our side? He said, I don't know whether God is on our side or not. I am concerned with being on God's side. And this morning, that's what counts. 
God is for you, but are you with God? Are you for God? But the Bible said that to be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. You and I were born in sin, and we were born in active rebellion against God. So the important question this morning is, am I on the Lord's side? Have I made a commitment to honor God, to live by His word, to, to be a, a, a faithful servant of His? If I say I love God, but I don't obey Him, I don't even know Him. It's obedience, that essential thing that God is looking for in your heart today. Someone that would say, preacher, I'm far from God. I need His love. I need His grace. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. Friend, the, the way to have that is to begin today by giving your life to Jesus Christ, by making a commitment of your heart to Him. When you open up your life to God and you say, God, I've blown it. I've made mistakes. I've sinned against you. I've rebelled against you. I have lived openly in rebellion against you. But today, I repent. I turn around. I reject that sinful lifestyle. I want to live for you. And I want to be on your side. God, God's word reminds us that he will graciously receive us as his very own. Today, God is for you. He wants you to know that in the depths of your soul. But the text says something else. It says, if God be for you, then who can be against you? What is it that's against you this morning? Is there a Haman in your life? Something that's persecuting you? Something that's trying to destroy you? Trying to drag you down? Trying to, make, to reduce you to nothing? Can I tell you that God is greater than Haman? And just like he lifted up Mordecai and lowered Haman, that God can do that in your life. Maybe the Haman in your life is your past. Maybe your past is haunting you and telling you about what you did yesterday, about what you did a year ago. It says, I know what you did last summer, and I'm going to remind God about it every day. I'm going to make sure that when you pray, the enemy says, I'm going to make sure when you pray that you can't pray comfortably. I'm going to come around and tell you, you don't deserve God. You don't deserve God's love. The enemy comes around and he says, why would God listen to you? Look at the way you're living. Look at how you've disobeyed God. And your past may be haunting you. But I want to tell you that when you come to Christ, the Bible says that He takes your past, present, and future sin and He buries it in the deepest part of the sea, never to be remembered against you again. And He removes it as far as the east is from the west. So that your past has nothing against you. If God be for me, then my past has nothing on me. When God looks at a Christian, when he looks at a believer who's been born again, he doesn't see their sin, but he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. So you came to church today. This is not a perfect church. We don't have perfect people, but we have a perfect Savior. We are flawed people with a flawless Savior. He has washed us clean and forgiven all of our transgression and our iniquity. So if you want to join the club, just join right on in. We're imperfect people walking in the power of a perfect God to ward an eternal glory. That is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that has been made available to us. And today, if your past is haunting you, drag your past kicking and screaming to Jesus and let Jesus deal with that past. He dealt with it at the cross 2,000 years ago and he'll deal with it today. Maybe you say, Pastor, I wish it was just my past. But my present right now, where I'm living, it's wrong. I'm against God, and, and it's against me. Can I tell you, friend, the Bible says what will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress 
or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. There is nothing today that can stand in your present circumstances that can separate you from the love of God. Are you going through economic recession? Even that won't stop you. Are you going through difficulty? Are you been, have you been sick? Even that can't stand against you because if God is for you, I said if God is for you, then not even the present circumstances can stand against you. But in these things, said the apostle, we overwhelmingly conquer through him. For I am convinced, said the apostle Paul, that neither death nor life. Anybody afraid of death? Paul said, not even death itself can separate me from God's love. In fact, if you take my life, you just launch me into glory. Right there, I'm in his presence. I win, you lose. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that not even death or life can separate us from the love of God? Nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. If your present is against you, drag it kicking and screaming to God. Obey Him. Live by His rules, by His law. He will bless your life. He will change your present circumstances into the likeness of His will. And even that won't be able to separate you from His love. Maybe you say, Pastor, it's not my past or present that's haunting me. But there's a Haman in my life. Somebody's trying to get me fired at work. There's somebody's trying to trip me up with temptation. Somebody's trying to drag me down the wrong road. Can I tell you, friend? that not even man can stand against you. For Hebrews 13 verse 5 through 6 says that God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, I will never desert you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. In the Greek there's actually a double negative. It says I will never, never, no never leave you nor forsake you. So even if man comes against you, he says, I will not fear. In God I will be confident. What can man do to me? What can any man do to you if you're in Christ? doesn't matter what any man says. It doesn't matter what any man does. If I'm in Christ, I'm secure. That not even that man or woman who's out to get you, not even Haman himself, can keep you from God's love. Maybe you say, Pastor, the world is against me. All the world is drawing at me, pulling at me, temptation and, and, and the power of sin is drawing at me. My own nature is drawn toward that lifestyle. Can I tell you, friend, that not even the world can stand against you. If you are in Christ, the world loses its power. The world loses its hold. Jesus has transferred us out of the dominion of darkness into the dominion of his son. He's brought us out of darkness, out of the world, into his life. And you might say, okay, preacher, I get all of that. That sounds easy. But what about the devil? Isn't the devil against me? What do I do when he comes to attack? What do I do when he comes to tempt me? What do I do when he comes to try to make me fall? Can I tell you, friend, that not even the devil can stand against you. If God be for you, not even the devil can stand against you. Lucifer himself can stand against you. Why? Colossians 2.15 says this. That Jesus on the cross, he disarmed the devil. He took his weapons from him. He took away his power to be able to destroy our lives. He disarmed him at the cross. He disarmed not only rulers and authorities, but he made a public display of them. Just like Mordecai was honored 
by all, uh, including Haman. And the king made a public display of Haman. So Jesus at the cross made a public display of the devil when he triumphed over him at the cross. Can I tell you, friend, the greatest enemy of man has been conquered by Jesus Christ. The devil himself has been put to nothing because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So can I tell you today, if God before you, then not even the devil can be against you. If God before you, then who can be against you? I want you to confess that with me this morning. Are you ready? We're going to say it together. We're going to say it out loud, and I want you to say it with some faith. All right, don't say it with some doubt, because that's not going to help anybody. But I want you to get some faith stirred up in your spirit. And I want you to know that God is for you. That God is on your side. And that if you will come to Him in repentance, that He'll forgive you if you're in sin. And if you're weak, He'll make you strong. And if you are in despair, He'll give you hope. If you're cast down, He'll raise you up. So are you ready? Are you ready today? Say this with me. If God be for me, then who can be against me? Come on, give the Lord praise. In the house of God. Hallelujah. How do you get on God's side? You say, you should be saying, Preacher, how do I get God's favor on my life? I'll tell you how. It's a simple remedy. You can't buy it because it's not for sale. God's favor is not for sale. You cannot bribe God. God's favor is a free gift. The Bible says that by grace, we have been saved through faith. That not of ourselves. That word grace, it literally means God's unmerited favor. By God's free gift of grace, by His free gift of favor to the sinner, we are able to have the favor of God and to walk in divine favor. It's a free gift. When it comes to the terms of the spiritual, sometimes we complicate things. I have to go to church a certain amount of times and I have to read a certain amount of the Bible before God will love me before God will care about me I have to do certain amount of rituals in order for God to pay attention to me I want to tell you friend that there is nothing you can do to gain the favor of God but to put your faith in his son Jesus Christ to confess his son Jesus as your savior and when you do that he says I will give you my free gift unmerited favor I know it's done, it's a scandal, isn't it? It sounds too good to be true. It sounds too easy, preacher. Aren't you simplifying it too much? No, friend. Today, if you will hear God's voice, answer to him in faith, say to him, God, I've sinned. I've walked in rebellion against you. I've broken your laws. You say, God, I've broken the Ten Commandments. I've messed up. I've made a mess of my life. 
If you confess that to him, and he'll say, God, I need you today. I want you to forgive me. I need your forgiveness. I need you to give me your love, to, to let me know that you have graciously forgiven me. If you hear his voice, and you will do that. He will do that right there in a moment. And in a single moment, you can go from death to life. From the power of sin to the power of God. You can have a new life in Christ the moment you evidence faith in Him. Now I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and if you would just bow your head in prayer. We have seen this morning eight men and women who have gone into baptism. They've made a public statement saying, Jesus is in control of my life. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Can I ask you this morning, is Jesus the Lord of your life? I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church. I'm not even asking you if you've been baptized or have received communion. I'm asking you, is Jesus the Lord of your life? It's the only way to have divine favor. And today, he says to you, it's time. It's time to come. It's time to submit your will to me. It's time to yield to me. I want the church to be in prayer this morning. No one moving around. If you would say, Pastor Isaac, I want God's forgiveness. If it's as you say that he'll receive me, I want to be received. The great miracle of salvation is not that we receive Christ, that Christ receives us. That's the miracle. And he receives a sinner. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Father, I pray this morning that if there is anyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, someone who would say, I need a Savior, I need a healing in my heart and my soul. Someone who would say, I want to make things right with God. Father, I pray that right where they are, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, their helper, would come and draw them to Christ. I pray that no one person would leave this room without being absolutely certain they have made it right with you. I ask you this in Jesus' name.